Welcome to Target Cancer Podcast. Today we have Dina Goldberg, who has a master's in genetics and hereditary cancers and practices out in LA in a private concierge, but has worked with several academic institutions and knows all about the stuff that relates to your risk of cancer and also if you have cancer or a family member, what are the steps that you need to take and they need to take both for your risk and for potential therapies that are different if you have those hereditary risks. So one of the first things that's really important to know, to ask if a cancer is genetic or not is actually kind of like a trickier answer than, than one would think. There's genetics which are passed down to you, right? So those are germline mutations, which means they were given to you from birth and some of them, have a higher chance of like, you know, error during DNA replication and stuff, which will predispose you to having cancer because usually our um, genetics, genetics, germline genetics help us like blow up those problematic cells. Then there's somatic genetics. And that means what are the genetics of the tumor itself? So it's not something that you were born with, but I need to look at the somatic mutations and genetics of the tumor to then be able to see what is, you know, characteristic of it, what made it successful in being a cancer, and how can I attack it? Because we're learning there's a lot of treatment and therapeutic implications on the actual mutations in a somatic capacity, meaning the tumor's specific identity, as well as your germline. Dina, do the genetics, mostly germline, which is extremely important because people wanna know, do I have a predisposition? What is mm -hmm. obviously the most common genetic concern that people have as a whole? Yeah, so well, let me just uh, back up for a second because you were mentioning that it is cancer genetic. So the way that we call it, we really technically all cancer is genetic, right? It's caused by different genetic changes that cause those cells to become abnormal. Exactly. But not every cancer is hereditary. So that's where we're, we use the word hereditary. So a lot, there is a lot of confusion because when you think genetic, you think hereditary, right? But there are a lot of genetic diseases, cancer included, that are not actually being passed down, that are just happening in that local clump of cells. Right. So, uh, so what I work with are these hereditary cancer risks. Right. syndromes. And then also uh, I work with oncologists like yourself in interpreting some of these, the differences between the germline and the somatic test. When we think about germline, germline, like think germ cells are where we come from. So when there's a mutation that happens that exists in the cells we come from, then that mutation will exist everywhere in the body versus somatic is like new. So that mutation will only exist in an area of the body. And usually it's in that clump of cells. And actually there are multiple mutations that have to happen for a cancer to occur. So so that's that's happens after somebody's already developed. So you can kind of think about germline and somatic as like how you were when you were born versus what develops later in life. What percentage of cancers are due to hereditary things. Perfect wording for that. So uh, we usually quote about 10 to 15% of cancers that are her hereditary, or meaning they're caused by a genetic change that gets passed from parent to child that greatly increases the risk. But it also depends on the type of cancer. Mm -hmm. So um, something like, let's say, cervical cancer is almost never hereditary. That's usually you know, from HPV or from some sort of local infection, and it's not uh, usually associated with a syndrome. Whereas you have something like ovarian cancer, which is a lot more highly hereditary, we know up to almost a quarter of all ovarian cancers are associated with a hereditary genetic change. So it depends on the cancer type, 
But if we average them out, it's about 10 to 15 when we're looking at all cancer. And so just so people know, that means I don't get screening. I don't have to worry about cancer because it's not in my family. What Dina has just said is 85 to 90 percent of people get cancer not due to a hereditary thing. So let me ask you this. A lot of us have gotten 23andMe or Ancestry.com <laughs> and it's very bold at telling us, you know, we check you for this, you don't have this, BRCA, you don't have, you know, Lynch. As a doctor, you got to say, oh, you can't trust it, you know, whatever. That's just a blanket statement. But to your knowledge, if it's positive, how reliable is it? I say, I, I think I would have to believe it's 100% believable if it says you have it. But if it's negative, like, do you have an idea? And I don't know about like, can you trust that? Or is there a higher yeah. sensitive test that you should be doing and just take it for a grain of salt? Yeah, this is the, absolutely the most common question I get. Um, you have to think about the technology that's used, number one, in these direct-to-consumer, we call them direct-to-consumer tests. Mm -hmm. So what that means is there's no physician or medical professional involved in the whole process of getting the, the kit from the patient to the lab and and then giving that information back to the patient. So in these tests, they use a technology called SNP testing, which is looking at bookmarks along a DNA. And this was developed, and it was a way that we've been doing genetic testing for ancestry for many years, because when you're looking at someone's ancestry, you know which specific points along the genome are going to be different depending on someone's you know, geographical origins. But when you're looking at medical genetics, when you're trying to figure out if that gene is actually functioning or not, then those bookmarks are not adequate, right? Because let's say, just for instance, I'm going to use BRCA1 and 2 because that, that's on 23andMe. There are over 3,000 different mutations we know with, along those two genes that can cause hereditary breast and ovarian cancer syndrome. And 23andMe looks at three of them, just three of them. So as you can imagine, there are thousands that are not being looked at. And so most people who have a BRCA mutation who are going to go through 23andMe, they're, they're actually going to be told they're negative because oh, they're just looking at oh, okay. those. Wow. Yes. It's not sequencing. So in medical genetics, what we do in, in the genetic counseling clinic is we, we order testing that is medical grade. So that's looking through every letter of the DNA. It's looking at pieces missing or added. It's looking at the beginning and end of a gene uh, at the promoter region. And it's very thorough. Those are the types that a doctor or genetic counselor will order. So we call those medical grade testing. This is why I'm grinding so hard in life right now. I was convinced since I did this two, three years ago that I'm gonna have early dementia, have cancer coming out of my eyeballs and every single organ. And, oh, no, and, no, no. And, and and macular degeneration, all these. I'm gonna be, I said I'm going to be blind, demented, riddled with cancer, and I'm like, I have a short life to live. I got to go for it. Now you've just uninspired me because I, I may be okay. You know, the value of somebody like me, a genetic counselor, part of my job, the reason the word counselor is in there is because these things are part of someone's identity in a way that they don't realize. And so when somebody believes they're going to get cancer really early or they believe they're going to get dementia early, then they actually, oh, bless you, <laughs> they actually end up um uh, incorporating that and yes. feeling like that, that they need to live yes. that way right or or they sometimes like i had a patient who believed she was going to get pancreatic cancer so early because her mother and grandmother did and she didn't take out a retirement plan and she didn't have kids because she felt like that was you know what was going to happen for many years and then we found out she was negative and a few years later i found out she had kids and she told me that she decided that the night after she got her result that's incredible because yeah so this is something people don't think about, but there's a lot of psychosocial and emotional stress that comes along with, with cancer risk. 
right? And believing that you're at risk. And what I find is that most people who really believe they're at high risk, a lot of them aren't. And then there are people who believe they don't have any risk and they actually are higher risk than they think. And so a lot of this is kind of just um, getting that in your head and then thinking about what actions to take to be more in control of your risk, to lower that risk, to try and prevent the cancer from happening. Um, so that that's my little plug for why it's really nice to work with a genetic counselor because our job is simply to help people understand their own risk. And it's not just genetics, by the way. We look at family history and personal history and lots of other risk factors as well, because sometimes genetics doesn't give us an answer, but someone's family history may tell us more information, right? Like sometimes there isn't a mutation known, but we know that that person has an increased risk and therefore will apply for more screening or will fit the threshold of risk where they get more screening. So it's not just genetic testing. It's a combination of all these other risk factors as well. That's interesting. And I mean, beyond interesting, I guess I'm in a minority of people or subset that when I did really think until now that I had this risk of all these different things, that all that did was like, I was like, I got to like squeeze every drop of life out, like live it, be present, play with my kids, work hard, try to leave, you know, the world better than before you came into it. But I think that uh, that's probably atypical. And, and at least I'm a cancer doctor. So I knew that like, I had the knowledge. I think the only reason it worked out favorably is because I had the knowledge of like knowing, you know, statistically it's probably less until this time period and then when if and when da, da, da. so that helped me make it positive but man that's that's huge so let's talk about SNPs SNPs are single nucleotide polymorphisms these are things that are on 23 and me I don't know if they're accurate but they're on mine where basically like if I look in the sun I'm gonna sneeze and it says I'm like I don't know 20 30 percent of people that do that and others don't and then you know this is kind of weird but they'll tell you they basically just tell you what you already know that like you can smell asparagus and pee and I'm like I'm aware of that the first time I you know experienced that I thought it was very strange and then I found out that's what it was so they have all these kind of weird I mean they have these things that are accurate I guess but but again they just tell you what's already oh you're you're you know you're blue and green you know, you can't tell the difference. And people are like, I didn't know that, but really what did it do for you? It just, it just told you what you already knew. But these are very important, especially when it comes to the medication. So a lot of SNPs will make you require either like higher doses of an anticoagulant, like warfarin or Coumadin. It can make you need lower doses. It can make you not be receptive or have plavix effective, which is crazy because that means if you get a stent and they and they do plavix as a default, and for some reason, I guess it's not cost effective to check everyone if they respond to plavix because I think it's somewhere between two to five percent. Instead, right now, the thought is you just do it 95% to 99, 8% will be fine, but then that one to two people out of 100 that come back with a completely reblocked stent, that's because they, in fact, didn't respond to plavix, and that's just something we just accept on a daily basis. So, if somebody wanted to be a little bit more more hypervigilant and the biopharmacology, I think there's an actual term for it on how you respond to your medications. Is that something genetic counselors do as well? What you were referring to is called pharmacogenetics. And uh, most uh, genetic counselors, we're not usually trained in it, but it is something that we're starting to be trained in. And there are a number of genetic counselors who do practice pharmacogenetics. And so you, your average genetic counselor probably wouldn't um, work with you or order that testing, but I think that may change in the future. Uh, and there are definitely very reputable companies that your doctor can order that test through as well. But I wouldn't use 23andMe for that either. I didn't get, but you can do SNPs through a genetic counselor, correct? So whenever we think about what we're testing for, the technology we use really depends on what we're looking That's for. That's true. So there are a lot of ways to look at our DNA, right? So there's sequencing, which is looking at the little letters. There's chromosome testing, looking at the, the clumps of, of DNA, the chromosomes, the packages, and looking at big pieces missing or added. There's methylation studies, looking at how our genes are, are expressed. And there are there's mitochondrial DNA that affects certain things. So there's no one test that actually looks at everything. 
Um, then there's SNP testing, right? That's just looking at these uh, specific uh, letter changes. And so you have to know what you're looking for for us to know which technology to use. And so when we think about those SNPs when it comes to pharmacogenetics, that is what is being used in many cases, but that may, it may change in the future. Um, for sure. But yeah, but it's not being used for like medi most medical genetics purposes. If you're going through cancer actively, you need some counseling, but it's not available at your oncology clinic or hospital, where can you access those? Yeah, so there's findageneticcounselor.com which is a tool um, from the National Society of Genetic Counselors. There are several like this, but there are national private telemedicine companies that offer genetic counseling through Zoom or through telephone. And you can actually do the test at home using a saliva kit, or they can send a blood, a phlebotomist to your home. Um, so that's called Genome Medical. And that's another one I recommend. And it's very these, affordable. They can be, some of what? these are insurance covered? Yeah, yeah, because covered by insurance. Because appropriate and you just can't get it in town, cancer patients listening to this should like, you know, they likely qualify. Most of them for, in some capacity can go get it insurance covered as well. Yeah, and it's super easy. And, and with Genome Medical, you can actually get a, an appointment very quickly, like within a few days. So um, you won't have to wait. Just get it done, get it over with. And you can talk to someone like myself who specializes in cancer genetics. Bye.